The Film Guide with Howard Linsky, part of the St Albans podcast with Danny Smith. Welcome along to another edition of the St Albans Film Guide with Howard Linsky. Hello, Howard. Hello, Danny. How are you doing, mate? I'm, um, um, you know, middling. 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 Yes, so middling is the best we can hope for at the moment, I think. Isn't it just? Anyway, uh, people may well be looking for, for movies to escape anything else that might be going on at Definitely. this time. And uh, and we're going to provide some um, insight and, and hopefully maybe a little bit of... I was going to say entertainment. That's probably a reach, isn't it? But certainly we'll give some insight and opinion. Um, I uh, think you're over-promising and we may <laughs> under-deliver here, but we'll do our best to provide yeah. both. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah, we will we will provide insight and opinion, if nothing else. And we will be looking at Howard's choice of the films to watch on free-to-air TV for the week ahead. Uh, we'll also be looking at a, another film that Howard has deemed too good to be forgotten, plus uh, new original movies on uh, the streaming services, just uh, Netflix this week. Uh, but first, let's look at the cinema and we'll, we'll look at new releases and then we're going to talk about a couple of films that are currently out on general release that you've seen. So let's start with the new releases. And I think I know where you're going first. Oh my God, the blockbuster. The one, the only, it's Ali and Ava. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so okay. there is one other film out this week. Apparently and that's another it. one, but I'll get to that in a minute. But yeah. uh, Ali and Ava is a British drama film, so it's not necessarily a mega-budget um, affair. Um, it's written and directed by Cleo Bernard. It stars Adil Akhtar as Ali, who is a likeable, happy-go-lucky British Asian in Bradford. Uh, who's got a well-off family, so basically they own properties, and his job is to collect the rent and make sure the tenants are okay. Uh, but he's a frustrated DJ and a musician as well with an extensive collection of vinyl. And uh, perhaps that's why um, his wife has gone off him. His wife, Runa, has outgrown her husband. And they're separating, but they're not allowed to separate formally. So basically, they're living together, but living separate lives. And um, he then bumps into uh, Ava, who is a a widowed mother, whose husband was an abusive bully, but he's gone. Um, and um, And she has a son who she's struggling to deal with. And they have, I suppose the way to describe it, is kind of an unlikely romance that both sides, apparently both sides of their families, um, look upon either disapprovingly or, or somewhat bewildered by. So it's a, an exploration of two characters from different backgrounds trying to meet in the middle. And I've uh, got some good reviews, so okay. yeah. And it's uh, British actress Claire Rushbrook uh, who's who's in that as well. And and she's, um, uh, it's not a name I recognise, but as soon as I saw her face, I thought, oh, I've seen her in loads of things. Yes, she has got one of those where you think, oh, what have I seen her in? But you're probably going to tell me because you're well, very yes. good at looking these things up. Yeah, so, so uh, <laughs> just just off the top of my head, <clears throat> or not, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. She, she's, uh, she was in Secrets and Lies, Spice World, the movie. Oh, who could forget Spice yeah. World, the movie? Spider-Man <laughs> Far From Home more recently, and also Enola Holmes, which uh, is a film from a year or two back about, was it Sherlock Holmes' younger sister? Uh, Yes. um, I'm trying to think of it's sister or niece, but I think it's sister, isn't it? She's the the younger sister of Mycroft and Sherlock. Yeah. And And that was a big hit on Netflix. Yes, yes, I believe so. And it was uh, Millie Bobby Brown from yes. Stranger Things, I think. She was very the good. Character. The film was kind of just about all right, really. It was not that amazing. But, okay. But yeah, so anyway. What do I know? Well, it's, you know, it's what you're here for. Your, 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 your view of... Uh, yeah, opinions, we've all got them. Yeah, exactly. Um, so anyway, that's uh, that's one of the films that's out yeah, this week, Ali and Ava. Yeah. Now, there's another one that's just marginally bigger. That's... Now, you may not have heard of this one um, or the character, but it's called The Batman. Yeah, and um, so it's another Batman movie. Um, Yeah, so my first thought on this was, why on earth would we need another Batman movie? So, you know, it's been done to death. Um, How many times are we going to get this guy just pretending to be a rich dude who does nothing but actually goes out at night, avenges his parents, um, beats up criminals, arrests them, and then deals with some kind of very fanciful villain? So, yeah, and then that, in essence, is what the Batman is about. However, I was slightly buoyed in advance by the cast, because um, as well as Robert Pattinson, the new, the new Batman, it also stars Paul Dano, who's done a lot of good stuff in the past. Zoe Kravitz plays Catwoman. Sorry, I should have said Paul Dano plays the Riddler. Right. We've got Jeffrey Wright in there, who more recently was Felix Leiter in the Bond films. He's now playing Commissioner Gordon again. Okay. Not him again, but Commissioner Gordon's there again. Uh, and it also has John Turturro, Peter Sarsgaard, Andy Serkis, 
and Colin Farrell as the penguin. And I gather Colin Farrell is near unrecognisable well, under yes. all the prosthetics. Yes, he and, must be, yeah. yeah. Because he's not the immediate guy I would have cast as the penguin, no. unless he's enjoyed a lot of good restaurants in Hollywood in the last five years <laughs> or so. But um, So that cast is fantastic. So I was kind of reserving judgment. I haven't seen the movie yet because it isn't, isn't, isn't out until Friday, 4th of March, as in now. But um, I did think, well, okay, I'll read some reviews and see what they say. And... They have lent more on what I initially said rather than what a great cast, isn't it amazing? Um, a couple of reviews I've read so far said it's a bit over long because it's nearly three hours long, would you believe? So take snacks and don't buy them in the cinema because yeah. <laughs> they cost a fortune. Um, and, th- you know, the gist of it was that, you know, it's a bit samey. It's a bit, he's a very angsty guy. He lost his parents. He keeps reminding us of this. And... They weren't, you know, some good set pieces, but they weren't overly knocked out by it. So I wondered, you know, I'll ask that question again. Does the world need another Batman movie? What do you reckon, mate? So I'm I'm a fan of Batman, and I like the, the and I thought that, you know, the Dark Knight trilogy with Christopher Nolan was was, was wonderful. It was good. Uh, yes. I really enjoyed Michael Keaton as Batman, and he's coming back as Batman later this year. He's wow. in he's in the, um, the superhero movie The Flash, playing oh. his version of Batman again. And it's rumoured he might be playing Batman in another movie. In some sort of Gotham City rest home where he's rescued to come out of retirement. Well, because it's all these <coughs> multi-universes now, um. you see, that go on. So, so <laughs> his universe is, is, is somehow... And also Ben Affleck's Batman is in that same movie. Yes. They're, they're bringing them together. Famous for being asked what his superpower was, and he had to sort of wryly admit being rich. Yeah, which is great. Which quite a funny line. But, <laughs> um, now, I, I must admit, my, my first thought coming into this, because this, this movie was going to be the next Ben Affleck Batman movie. Yes. And then and initially, Ben Affleck was going to write and direct it. And then he pulled out as director, now, but stayed I, on as writer I, I quite and like star. Ben Affleck. He does some good stuff. He does some bad stuff, but he does some very good stuff. He can clearly act. But I don't think he's, from what I understand, his reception as Batman wasn't that great. So that's probably why he pulled out, unless you've heard... No, that should go differently when you chat I mean, to him last year. I, th- I think, I think, I think his performance was okay. I think the films that he was in were not the big. They didn't have the big um, sort of reception that the Marvel films were enjoying at the yeah. time. <clears throat> the, the, you know, they they were good. They weren't as good as those, and therefore I, I suspect it made the film studios worry. Mm-hmm. He he, you know, was originally removed as director, but was still going to be the writer and the star. And then he was taken out of it completely um, or, or moved on, creative differences or what have you. So, um, so yeah, th- they went in a completely different direction cast-wise. And then a new, a new director brought in who also rewrote it all as well. Uh, and that's where we, we've got to with this. Yeah, but, but I was, you can't fault the cast. You know, it looks no, amazing. But, but I, was, I was a bit concerned at first. I thought, Robert Pattinson, he's like 12 years old or something, you know. And, and now I've looked him up. He's not. He's 35. Yeah, we keep doing this, don't we? Because it's a bit like that old thing about, you know, police looking younger yeah. and shop assistants looking very young and some of these actors and I, are I a lot suspect, older than I suspect are. he was probably about the same age that Christian Bale was if not if anything he might be slightly older than Christian Bale was because yeah, yeah. Twilight was some time ago wasn't he, it and he, he was he was Cedric Diggory wasn't he in the in the Harry Potter films when he was young okay and one of them I, I know this because my daughter loves them and watches sure. them over and over again yeah, I, yeah. I, I, they're on in the background Danny what can yeah. I do Bla- you know? blame your daughter yeah, yeah that's yeah. fine but uh, but no <laughs> I, I do think that this uh, that, that, you know that this this you know I've always been a Batman fan I, I like the fact he's even called the Batman because that was from the comic books that, that, that he was known as the Batman and yet they seem to drop the definitive article that what you call it the word there the um, oh art? you're asking me a grammar question i just oh. i'm like the guy who can uh, play, ro- the, play the piano but can't read music so, uh, okay you know right. don't don't never mention the word grammar i have a panic attack okay well anyway yeah. the, the, you know the fact that they they're referring to him in this movie as the batman it, it, you know for, for, for sort of comic book fans of 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 the batman that, that resonates that will resonate <clears throat> somewhat yeah. so all of that's interesting and, and it but but at the same time, you were saying that it didn't think that the perhaps the reception of it was was quite what it could be. It does seem like it's it's playing down that that new cliche of Batman that Batman's very dark and very somber. And yeah. I've heard it described that this is the goth Batman, this is the emo Batman, yeah, lots of shadows and emerging from the dark and all that kind of thing. Yeah, so, yeah I know he goes out at night, but even so, yeah. Um, and and you know, I mean, he was always known as the Dark Knight, and it was kind of it was supposed to be the, a little bit that he was like that. But uh, but personally, I'm looking forward to seeing this because I do yeah. like this kind of thing. I'd be really curious to know what you think of it when you've when you've sat through the whole nearly three hours of it, and whether you think it was different in any way or just a bit of a reboot of previous versions. So yeah, that'll be yeah good to know. But uh, certainly the the reviews. 
there have been I don't know if it's it's the same mixed kind of gives a different impression again I mean the the reviews have been sort of like lukewarm to positive I think I don't think Mm. I've not seen many that have said that they didn't like it I've seen some that have commented on the length of it some that have been saying it is wonderful um, but but it does seem like on the whole at the moment that they're kind of just saying it's it's not bad yeah, uh, I think that, because to be fair, I didn't read lots of them. And the one I read was The Times, and I probably did that thing where you, you nod along to something because it confirmed your fears, you know, that, yeah. that is, do we need another Batman kind of thing was more or less what they were saying too. So, And there is anyway. that as well, because the, the, one of the things that I really like about what Marvel have done with their superhero characters is is the continuity of it all, that it all fits into one universe. They, they, they seem to, they very rarely go through recasting. It's the same actor playing the same superhero all the way through and and it looked like warner brothers were doing that with the justice league movies and man of steel and 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 when i heard first with man of steel that they were going to incorporate batman but it wasn't going to be christian bale i was disappointed there because i kind of thought well they've established him yes he's in many people's eyes he is yeah. batman so yeah but but what yeah. they have done with this which i'm pleased is that this isn't an origin story that, no. because i think the other thought was oh they're going to just go and retell it all over again but it's been done quite a few times you know christian bale's one was was a re relaunch of it and um ben affleck's one to an extent was as well and 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 they keep doing that and michael keaton's one established how he became yes, we batman. definitely don't need another origin story no. for batman starting no. with parents being killed in an alley and then the kid going yeah Why? and then growing up and being that's it <laughs> that's and so this dude. at least has um uh you know this a is him i believe this is him early in his career but it is him a couple of years into being being the Batman and also I saw somewhere just earlier that apparently uh, the character that Colin Farrell is playing there's already uh, going to be a spin-off TV series featuring um, Colin Farrell's fic oh, so again that's a Marvel thing isn't it they're, they're constantly doing that getting crossing over to television and back to yeah, movies sticking again. Loki in a TV series and that kind of thing so yeah. I don't know yeah. okay well anyway the Batman out on Friday the 4th of March uh, looks like it'd be visually sumptuous and dark and yes. all of that and, and you know watching him with, with apparently they don't even hide the fact that he wears eyeliner under his under his bat helmet this time it, they've always done that but whenever they, t- they see you see him take take the he- helmet thing off the eyeliner is mysteriously gone i'm just smiling at this you know because it used to be uh, something would happen like the phone would the red phone would ring and then they'd slide down a pole into the back now it's just just let me put my face on you know let's do me eye makeup before i climb into the batmobile yeah or maybe an even better when he sort of gets out of the outfit and he just carries on being bruce wayne and they go what what you got there mate on your face is Oh, just forgot to take the eyeliner off. Yeah. <laughs> isn't there? Isn't it the Lego Batman where where he's he's sat in the in part of the bat costume? He's taking a bit of it off and he's in his microwave in his dinner, and he's just sat there waiting for the microwave to ping, and he's kind of looking rather pathetic as sort of half well, Batman. It's funny you should mention that because the Times Review that I read quoted quite a lot of Lego Batman and said that the makers of this one had obviously not seen that <laughs> because it was exploring all the the cliches, you know, oh, dead dear. parents, no, you know. <laughs> anyway, The Batman out Friday the 4th of March. Now, uh, there are a couple of movies knocking about at the moment that you have seen. Let's yes. start with Death on the Nile. Yes, I want to say this. Uh, I know we've talked about it. So we Collectively, we have talked about it on the podcast. Um, but, what, yeah, I, I enjoyed this. I thought it was good. Um, looks amazing to see it on a big screen. The cinematography is wonderful because the, the, the boat is just floating along past all this amazing scenery in the Nile. So that was almost worth the price of entry alone. Uh, Branner, Kenneth Branagh plays Poirot again and uh, this time his moustache is not quite so wild or so distracting there's even an origin story for Poirot's moustache oh okay at the very beginning of the movie yeah it's to cover something so, right yeah well, basically enough. he gets injured in the war as a, as a, fir- a first world war story um, amazing cast uh, all of whom you know seem to be enjoying themselves well why wouldn't you you know you're in an Agatha Christie and uh, uh, slightly um, you know uh, iconic Roles in a in a story that most people will be at least vaguely familiar with from from either TV or film, and um, you, you do suspend your belief. But as you know, crime writing you have to. Really. Yeah, and uh, I, I I enjoyed it. Yeah. Okay. Um. So uh, a couple of weeks ago on the film guide, Max had just seen it, and he saw it the week it came out. And of course, the week before Max had seen it, uh, Chris had mentioned that the film was coming out. Yeah. Now Max is in his very early 20s so he, he's you know generations away from you. He is, I'm and, just elderly. And had a yeah. very different take on it all so um, one of the things he said was he thought that it was a 
he he found the green screen usage jarring. He felt he could notice that they weren't on location a lot of the time, that it was green screen. Oh, my now, God, did you they feel, weren't on location? Oh, no. Did, yeah, you, I mean, did you feel that? Could you I, see it or did you care? Again, it was suspending belief a little bit. I mean, there's a bit in it where there's a, a, you know, a, a, an alligator comes leaping out of the water and grabs a bird and... I, I did assume they didn't just set up a camera on the off chance that that might happen. So there is a bit of special effects, but I don't know. It, it looked not, it, it looked pretty, so I was kind of going okay. along with it. Yeah, really. he thought that like the backdrops didn't look natural uh, in places, and yeah. and that was. I also asked him how he felt this one compared to the previous Branner offering, and in mm. fact, how it might have compared to other um, adaptations of Death on the Nile, to which he'd never seen anything to do yeah. with Christie or well, Poirot before. Again, so it's, a, it's an age thing. I've been around almost as long as Agatha Christie. So, you know, I remember the, the 70s version with Peter Ustinov yeah. on the Death on an Island and enjoying that as a kid at the cinema. So I, I, I guess, I was going to say it's similar, but in the sense that technology has rendered the, the spectacle... Uh, more spectacular mm. okay and i'm probably more forgiving about that again it will be an age thing because i'm just like oh isn't that clever they've got the place looking amazing yeah and, uh, so yeah i was happy to go with it but um, do, do you think um do you think it it stands up to to previous versions yeah i do and i think what they did do quite well was they um sometimes agatha christie's adaptations can be a little bit too genteel you know there's a a shot in the background and a body falls to the floor and a few old ladies go, oh my goodness. Um, what they did in this one was they ramped up the reason why the person, the lead character, you know, might, might have to die. And it was to do with love and lust, sex, jealousy, all that stuff. And it was a bit more, um, there was a slightly wilder um, storyline going on than just a, oh, there's been a shot and someone's fallen downstairs and they're dead, you know. It was it was a bit more real and more modern, so I thought it was, yeah, I thought it stood up pretty well. But uh, maybe I was in forgiving uh, mood when I went to see it. And, but and I what did you it. think of his first um, outing as Pyro? Um, uh, I, I, honestly, Express. the weird thing, I found that, I, I liked it, but I found his moustache ludicrously over the top and distracting. So every time I looked at him, I was just seeing the moustache. So, so and he has one... toned it down a wee bit. It's a okay. little bit less... Like, uh, huge, I think is the word I'm looking for. Um, I think this was better. Is it the uh, old adage, if you like that one, you'll love this one? I think so. I okay. think so. Yeah, I preferred it to the to the, the Orient Express, yeah. That'll do. Now, um, The Eyes of Tammy Faye. Now, this is a film yeah. that's going to have a lot of eyes on it because Indeed. Jessica Chastain has been nominated for her performance. Yeah, I, when I came out of this, I thought Jessica Chastain might very well win the Oscar. And I think yeah, I think it was today or yeah, last night it was announced that she'd won the it was a Screen Actors Guild Award. Yes, that was announced so earlier in this those, week, if you're uh, listening when we put this out. Um, but yes, it was announced on the yeah. end, at very end of February. That okay. <laughs> Whenever. Uh, this yeah. morning I read about yeah, it. We don't do I'm this little, live. People I'm may a little, not know that. I'm a little behind the times here on Friday morning on the 4th of <laughs> March. <laughs> but yes. Yeah, sorry about that. The continuity's gone again. Oh, don't worry. But anyway, Jessica Justin, extremely good as Tammy Fear. With it, she got the uh, mannerisms, the accent nailed. It's a larger-than-life performance, but a very good one. And, I, and Andrew Garfield was really good in it too. And it just it showed her kind of well downfall along with her greedy and rather grasping evangelical husband. And it was a it was a very good biopic. And I could see why she bought the rights because it was a a part she could get her teeth into. And I think she probably will win the Oscar for this one. Okay. Now the final film that you've seen that's currently out is the sort of film that people who think, oh, I don't want to go see the Batman or I don't want to see yeah. Death on the Nile, that this might be the film that they would want to see instead because it couldn't be more different than those it films. And you will be staggered to learn. And in mind, you obviously rightly teased me about being elderly. I was probably the youngest person in the cinema when I went to see this. You're not that so. much older than me. I don't tease you about being elderly. I was pointing out that you, you were considerably older than young Max. Yes, 30 years older than him, but, yeah. but probably 10 years or 20 years younger than the people in the audience with me. So it was The Duke, and it's got Jim Broadbent and Helen Mirren in it. Very briefly, Jim Broadbent plays a guy who may or may not have stolen the painting. Um, it's based on a true story. The guy went to court over this, and he stole the painting because it was bought by the country for a lot of money. It was the Duke of Wellington, hence the title the Duke. And um, he ends up being involved in the court case for nicking this painting because he thought the money should have been better spent on things like free TV licenses for the elderly and helping poor people. And um, the, Jim Broadbent plays the part brilliantly of the real-life eccentric um, who... Uh, is ably supported by Helen Mirren as, as his wife, his long-suffering wife, because he's, uh, as I said, eccentric guy. And they both nail the accent really well. They both bring some humanity to the characters. It's very funny in parts. Um, and considering it is based on a true story, it's quite larger than life and quite quite uplifting. And, uh, yeah, g- good stuff to go and see. And you don't have to be 
elderly to like it, but, you know, it probably helps. Hi, I'm Matt Adams, the heart of the Hearts Advertiser for over 10 years. Join me and host Danny Smith for St Albans Podcast, a weekly look at the news, views and reviews of the city and district of St Albans. As well as our delve into the local stories that matter, we regularly cover topics including health, food and drink, legal matters, the theatre scene and mental health. Alongside our regular features, we talk to people from our wonderful community, sharing some of the amazing work they do. Episodes are released every Wednesday at 7pm and you can find us by going to your podcast platform of choice and searching for the St Albans Podcast. Find out more at stalbanspodcast.com. Welcome to part two of the St Albans Film Guide with Howard Linsky. Yes, that's right. We have acclaimed local author Howard Linsky here with us doing this once a month. And we are looking now at uh, new uh, movies, new original movies on streaming services. Just one on Netflix that we're going to be talking about this time around. Yes, this one's called Night Ride. And oh, is that about the talking car? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, great. <laughs> cool. The Hoff is yeah. back, yeah? If if the guy driving the talking car is a drug dealer, then yes, that's the one. Ah. Uh, it's actually about a small-time criminal, apparently, who tries to pull off one last drug deal with cash that he borrowed from a dangerous loan shark. Now, um, <laughs> then the handover of the drugs goes catastrophically wrong, and he finds himself in a race against time. They nearly always do, don't they? Yeah. These, these poor protagonists. They're always in a race against time. He's got to locate the missing product and get a new buyer. And his problem is he's borrowed €100,000 in cash from a well-known psychopath. It's always a good move. Uh, a guy called Joe, who's played by Stephen Rea. Although oh, okay. you don't actually see him in the movie, apparently. You only see oh. him or hear him on the end of a mobile phone. So a lot of this is done as a kind of looking like a one-take type thing where you see the guy in the car a lot and he's phoning um, people to try and save his drug deal and his and his life really um so he's planning to use cocaine that he's bought to set himself up uh, he's going to double his cash pay the psychopathic joe back um with interest and he'll have enough money to sort of retire and set up an auto repair business and um as a, as a the blurb i read said and all of this in an hour and a half so it's quite a short uh, movie but it's very piercey um, I did read, obviously I haven't seen it yet because it's, it's coming out today, not, you know, 4th of March and all that. Um, the Guardian, though, said that Mo Dunford, who is the lead, shines in Stephen Fingleton's well-constructed Belfast-set drug deal drama. So, um, yeah, it's um, it's got the thumbs up from The Guardian. Okay. You... I think the comment about um, or, or, uh, and all in an hour and a half is because of the, 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 the way it's being presented because this is being put across like that film recently with Stephen Graham was it where he was the chef oh yes this yes. is all in one yes, take absolutely it's a, well, there seems to be a lot of that and I guess it's um, it makes it quite live and quite lively and you can get you know there could be mistakes and so the actors are always on their toes yeah it also must be um, an economic way of doing a movie and not saying right we've got three months to, sh- to film this um, they must do it in just days, I suppose. If I mean, quite possibly. And keeping the cost down, which yeah. is sensible. And, you know, actors do this every night in the theatre, so why not a similar attitude to a movie, I suppose? Yeah. So, so yeah, so this is in re- this is a real-time thriller. Mm. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's out on Netflix. Quite gritty uh, by the look of it. Yeah, it? Ke- uh, it's out on the 4th of March, and it's called Night Ride. The Film Guide with Howard Linsky, part of the St. Albans podcast with Danny Smith. Part three of the St. Albans Film Guide is an opportunity for the film guide this week being none other than highly acclaimed local author Howard Linsky, author of 13 novels already. Oh, yes. Thank you for pointing that out. And I'll, I'll yeah. remember to pay the stipend, you know, to yeah. keep, <laughs> keep mentioning the words uh, highly acclaimed every avail- time you introduce a- me. Available in, uh, in all good bargain bins in charity shops Absolutely. everywhere. Absolutely. Usually in some sort of three for the price of one yeah. offer. <laughs> but one of the things we do is, aside from you, um, you know, doing the show, as, as do the other presenters who do this show, you in the third part you like to make it your own and mm. and on your week you do a feature called too good to be forgotten tell us about this your film this time around that is yeah. too good to be forgotten yeah it is uh, so sometimes these are quite old movies they're dating back from the 50s and 60s and sometimes they these these are movies that i wouldn't say they disappear without trace but unless you know your films are you really into film you might not be aware of them so this one i've gone for a 2011 movie and it's margin call which is a cracker. Now, I usually test whether it is a forgotten one by saying, have you seen it, Danny? Have you heard of this one? I, I, not only had I not seen it, the name didn't oh, ring a bell either, and no, I had well, to go and look either. it up. And now yeah. I've looked it up, 
I still haven't heard of it. Right, there you go. So but it's definitely, what a cast. Yeah, the cast is fabulous. The movie's amazing. So it is uh, Wall Street, but then some. So it's got, uh, you know, you don't have to be aware of economic stuff to understand it, but it's a really, really well-written and superbly acted drama about the time just before the crash. And it involves one fictional company, um, a bit like a Lehman Brothers type company, okay. you know, who they were the ones that were classed as too too good to too big to fail. Yeah, um, and, and this this is the so that you, the crash is the two thousand and eight financial yes, crisis. Yes, yeah. the most uh, the, well because the most recent one, but the big one that happened relatively Which recently. Depends upon when you listen to this, this episode. <laughs> that's, yes, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> who knows what could happen by the time you get around to listening to this podcast? But anyway, this is two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight financial crisis. Now, what happens in this movie? It starts when the the company um, starts laying people off. And one of the people that they lay off is um, a character played by Stanley, Stanley Tucci, who is an analyst who's been working on something. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, he's let go, as is often the case with these uh, companies. Now, there's, there's no awareness that there is a crash coming at this point. They're just ticking along and they're ruthlessly getting rid of anyone they think they don't need. So as he is escorted out of the building, literally as the lift door is about to close on him, he hands a memory stick to a character played by Zachary Quinto, none other than Spock himself, who and says, have a look at that, but be careful. And Zachary Quinto's also an analyst. I can't even say it. Analytical? An- analyst. There analyst. we go. Only took me three goes. I had to put my teeth back in to say that, but there we are. Um, so he goes off and does further investigation. I'll choose that word instead. And he realises the company has a big problem and he elevates this problem and the problem's massive. And it involves... So his immediate boss um, is played by Paul Bettany. Then next in the chain is Kevin Spacey, wonderful actor. Lee said soonest mended about his outside um, life. There are other um, players uh, in the company, uh, notably uh, Demi Moore, plays the, the woman who sacked Stanley Tucci's character. And the big, big boss, who is contacted in the middle of the night and has to fly in by helicopter and plays the role superbly is Jeremy Irons. He's the head of the company. And they all sit around in the middle of the night and they work out that the problem they've got is they've got all this stuff they've been buying and they've been sticking them the, the, um, uh, the things they buy together in packages that are theoretically worth millions but turn out to be worthless because they're mortgages and they're the kind of mortgages where they're just going to go under. So... There's an amazingly tense meeting where Jeremy Irons asks Zachary Quinto's character to talk to him as if he was addressing a small child, which is great for the audience, but also because Jeremy Irons' job is not to be a great brain and not to be um, financially very uh, deeply aware of analysis. It's about seeing which way the wind is going to blow and reacting accordingly. So that's why he gets the big books. And Zachary Quinto calmly explains to him that if there's a dip in the market in the next 24 hours, the company will go under because they've committed to stuff that is valueless and they've spent so much on it. And Jeremy Irons says, well, we need to sell a lot. And Kevin Spacey explains to him that if they do that, nobody will ever want to deal with them again because they'll be selling valueless garbage at 90% of its value. And uh, Jeremy Irons calls him out and says, well, we're talking about survival here. That's the only thing we can do. So the tension in the movie is how are they going to do this? Can they do it? Is it even conceivably possible? And what will be the backlash? And what will happen to all the characters? And there are character studies on every single person involved in this um, company and what they're, you know, what they're like on duty, off duty, what they spend their money on, what their domestic life is like. But the tension comes from thinking, how are they going to get rid of this toxic mess they've bought and can the company stay alive? And do we even want them to, actually? Because, you know, they're all part of the same weird, corrupted financial world that doesn't seem to create a lot or do any good. But it's a blistering movie. I'm just looking at the poster here, and there's a great tagline on it. It says, be first, be smarter, or cheat. Lovely. I think, you know, <laughs> that's that's great. pretty much the way it goes, but, but, yeah. But what a cast. <laughs> Ke- Kevin Spacey, Paul Bettany, yeah. Jeremy Irons, Zachary Quinto, uh, uh, Mary McDonald, Demi Moore, and Stanley Tucci, yeah, among others, and yeah. inspired by a true story. As it is. It, uh, and the guy, I should add, I mean, I, I, I knew from when I went to see it at the cinema that, that, uh, back in 2011 that J.C. Chander, I believe, is the guy who's made his directorial debut, um, and he wrote it. He, his father worked in that world. For years, and so he had a real insight to that world, and he, he understands it without using 
too much jargon or yeah. he writes it in a way that we would all understand. Okay. But it's really good. I mean, there, there have been one or two other movies that have covered similar ground. Mm-hmm. But but this, uh, I noticed as well, um, J.C. Chanda was nominated for an Oscar for writing this as there well. There you go. Uh, yeah. so, so clearly... So uh, this I'm not is... the only one that likes it. But uh, I do think it's been possibly... Maybe people weren't in the mood to see it because of it's, you know, it was only 2011 when it came out, three or four years after the crash, and maybe they didn't want to see a movie about banks. And well, there was another one a couple <clears> of years <throat> later that I think was called The Big Short, which covered... Oh, yes, yeah, uh, the, um, real, the real story that was based on, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. and, and I, that film was, was hugely acclaimed, it was. but I don't think mm. did terribly well either. And I, no. I, I think maybe there's an element of people thinking, you know, they, they don't want to go to school, they want to go to the cinema. And yeah, yeah, well, Margin Call's more of a drama, so I've seen both of those, and The Big Short... Also, the people who suffered from that crisis, of course, this had only been just a couple of years after that. Yeah, they, exactly. They'd still That's be feeling thinking. the so pain you, of it. You know, lots of people losing houses and things like that, you don't really necessarily want to go in. And, and in theory, you would have no sympathy for any of, the, any of these characters, because the worst that could happen is they get laid off and they've been paid a lot of money for years but um, it doesn't necessarily show them in a sympathetic light but you do kind of root for the drama that they're they're, they're involved in and the high stakes and yeah. you don't have to like them to find the movie compelling I guess that's a tribute to the acting and the, the cast is mm. brilliant it's the best thing I've seen Demi Moore do and I don't mean that as necessarily derogatory toward her but she's very good as this um you know, high-flying female boss who's basically second only to Jeremy Irons. Well, you've clearly never seen her in, in Charlie's Angels th- full throttle then. But. <laughs> yes, okay. I uh, have seen that, actually. <laughs> this is probably one she would want to remember more than okay. that, I suspect. Or striptease, maybe. Yeah, that wasn't great either. No. Okay, Margin Call is the film that Howard deems too good to be forgotten. Hi, I'm Elspeth Jackman, inviting you to listen to my podcast One to One with Elspeth. Find a local person with a story and I'll be there to draw out all those little details you want to know about. If I'm fascinated, so will you be. Each week I'll be talking to an interesting character who has a tale to tell. And the beauty of it is you can listen whenever you want to. To find the podcast, go to your podcasting platform of choice and search for The St Albans Podcast. Alternatively, go to stalbanspodcast.com slash Elspeth. That's One to One with Elspeth, part of the St Albans Podcast in association with the Hearts Advertiser. You never know, you could be my next guest. Time now for the final part of this week's film guide. This is where we look at Howard Linsky, a highly acclaimed local author, Howard Linsky. Well done, well um, done, keep at it. Yeah, and... Uh, <laughs> keep reminding people. <laughs> look, yeah, new, book, new book out imminently, maybe. Um, uh, but old ones are still around. Uh, anyway, uh, looking at... Thousands Howard's, of copies of the old ones still around, you know, you can easily find them in shops. <laughs> yeah, uh, so uh, looking at Howard's choice of the best films to watch on free-to-air TV for the forthcoming week, we're going to start with Friday the 4th of March, 7.25pm on Great Movies Plus, Moneyball. Yes, this is a, I, I like this movie. It's um, a film based on a non-fiction book by Michael Lewis, and it's a, uh, normally I wouldn't um, sell this to myself in a way by saying that I would love to see a movie, which is an account of the Oakland Athletic Baseball team's 2002 season and their general manager, Billy Bean, and his attempts to assemble a competitive team. So I'm not a baseball fan, um, but it could be about any sport in theory. What it's about is that the Moneyball um, notion, which allowed um, Bean, who was played by Brad Pitt, so they got some fairly big uh, <laughs> big name in to play him. And uh, it also co-stars... Uh, Jonah Hill as Peter Brand, his uh, stats man, if you like. Um, he realised in real life that he was never going to be com- competitive enough because they didn't have a lot of money at his team. So they started using stats and deep analysis on players to see who they could bring in cheaply. And um, without banging on about it for too long, it's a very um, good representation of what was a clever idea. And the team took a while to turn around, but they did eventually turn around. And they got rid of players that theoretically fans and um, experts wouldn't have suspected they would part company with and they also brought in other players who were not very fashionable but they did it for reasons so they would go right we're gonna get you know Danny because he gets on base he, he manages to get on first base a lot and we're gonna get this other guy because he manages to do something else a lot and they did it like that they had it instead of just buying individual players who cost a lot of money and theoretically were good individuals 
they looked for ingredients and they ran data. Now, this is something that all sporting teams do now, but back in, well, this is 20 years ago when the book was written and the film is 2011, even then it was probably not widely done in uh, in this country, for example. And um, it's a fascinating account of what happened and then what happens to um, Brad Pitt's character as well because he gets the offer um, to go on a, you know, a, a big job and potentially leave the club to go elsewhere and it sort of covers that toward the end of the movie and I won't spoil it by telling you what happens but well worth a watch well okay. acted and good fun that's Moneyball uh, which is on 7.25pm on Great Movies Plus on Friday the 4th of March let's move to Saturday the 5th of March one of my all time favourite films yes. I love a courtroom thriller oh, and uh, and you've picked like one of the then, finest yeah. ones out there from 1996 uh, this is A Time to Kill BBC One 11.45pm Yes, it's it's based on a book by the, the, the king of the courtroom novel, John Grisham, um, and it's got Matthew McGonaghy, if I pronounce that correctly, I'm not sure, um, and, a, and a young, up-and-coming actress by the name of Sandra Bullock. Whatever happened to her? She's in it in a minor part. Um, and Samuel L. Jackson's in it. Uh, Donald and Kiefer Sutherland are in it as well, in supporting roles. It's set in Mississippi. And uh, it's basically in an area where there is still quite a bit of racism going on at the time of the setting of the book and the movie. And it follows a trial following a young African-American girl being abducted, raped and beaten by two local white men. And uh, basically um, she survives and she's able to identify who did this to her. But her father, uh, Carl Lee Haley, um, he uh, basically shoots them and is up on a murder charge. So he contacts the local white lawyer, who is Jake Briggins, and that's McGonaghy's character, uh, and he has to conduct a trial in a feverish environment with a hostile judge and a hostile crowd outside of the courtroom a lot of the time, where even elements of the uh, Ku Klux Klan reappear. And uh, complications ensue, shall we say. In fact, at one point his house is burned down, as I remember rightly. Uh, only a minor point, but I am going to pick you up on Sandra Bullock there because she's listed first in the cast and her face is the most prominent one on the poster under uh, oh. above Matthew McConaughey. She's who, not in it lots, though. But, is, but she's quite a key part mm. in it, isn't she? She is. She plays an important role, but I thought it was one of her more um, supporting... It was, an, it was an earlier role, but yeah. anyway, yeah, but she, she, she was great in this. She's the, very good in it, yeah. The cast uh, is, is really, really good. You know, you... you as you mentioned, Matthew McConaughey, Samuel L. Jackson, Sandra Bullock, Kevin Spacey in there again. You've been picking him a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oliver Platt, he's uh, in there. Donald and Keith Sutherland, Brenda Fricker, Patrick McGowan, Danger Man. Yes, he, and plays, the the, he plays the hostile judge. He's the we'll judge. None of that grandstanding yeah. in my courtroom. So. Yeah. <laughs> Ashley Judd, who was something of a, yeah. a film star of the time, she, she plays um, Matthew, Matthew McConaughey's, McConaughey's long suffering wife, who yeah. sees her house burn down. Yeah. And Chris Cooper, a, gr- a guy who I think is a great actor, he, he's in there as well. He's it, terrific. He's the one who gets uh, shot in he's sort of collateral damage when the shooting happens and loses a leg yeah but he's very very good and, yeah. and you know expertly directed by Joel Schumacher who, yeah. who did a couple of the Batman movies it's possible at least one of those he might have erased from his own CV um, and, and <laughs> yeah, he has done a lot of good stuff though yeah um, uh, but he's very good and and yeah one of the other one of my other favourite um, sort of courtroom dramas is also with Matthew McConaughey as well the Lincoln Lawyer oh yes which, another one which yep. is you know my, a Michael Connolly um, book that one's That's based right. on mm. uh, but but he does seem to do this sort of thing very well uh, and well he's done it twice he's done it quite well done both it twice times very well yeah, so yeah, you know 100% on if anyone's the lawyer. looking for a lawyer <laughs> To, to hire for a movie, you know, you could go, you could do worse than go for Matthew. I guess so, yes. Um, now, interestingly, or, or not perhaps, but John Grisham, who wrote this, uh, he wrote it back in 1989, and nearly 20 years later, he wrote a sequel to it, and then about a year after that, he wrote another one. Wow. Um, and so he's brought, the character Jake Brigance has come back a couple of times since, and, and each book was set around the same time or very shortly after so so in the second one he does talk a lot about the aftermath of what happened in that small community right. in the deep south after the events of this case interesting stuff yeah it's good to see all characters being brought back and uh, they they stay ageless when you do that if you set it just well, shortly after the book you've written 20 years ago you know or 20 odd years ago well something i've always found a bit interesting is that there was a period of time in the 90s i think where john everything john grisham wrote was being turned yes, into a movie the, the firm the pelican brief yeah um, i know. was expecting like a shopping list of his to end up yeah. being made into something you know it, it seemed everything he did 
yet so many of his novels were actually involving the same characters, not the same main characters, but all the supporting characters, because he set so many of them in the same fictional town. And a lot of these characters, including the one that Patrick McGowan played and others, were in several movies, or several books, but, but not as the main character. And, it's and the Grisham cinematic universe. Kind of. It, and yeah. yet they never did that with the movie. So they made right. most of them into movies. A lot of the time they didn't even use the same characters. They they, they maybe changed names or they, they did different things. And I just thought, well, given that he created this literary world in which most of these things happened with a mm. lot of overlapping supporting characters, it never translated it into the movies. Could have almost been like a franchise in a way. But yeah. yeah, they're all out. I suppose they're all done by different film companies as well, maybe. Yeah, different oh, rights like if, and yeah. things like that, Probably I, I that's suppose. What, caused it yeah yeah but but a great film matthew mcconaughey i think top of his game in, in this movie yeah. and uh and yeah well worth watching there uh, time to kill is uh howard's choice for saturday uh the 5th of march uh and it's on bbc one at eleven forty-five p.m so let's move to sunday the 6th of march 9 p.m on bbc two misbehavior yes it, it only seems like a few months ago that i was watching this at the cinema but i see it was two years ago so there's a lot happened in the last two years, yeah. including cinema closures. Uh, so Misbehaviour is uh, it's a really good movie. It's um, one of those, I think British films are often, um, we're, we're very good at this. We take a, a moment in time, um, a bit like The Duke, but in this case, um, Misbehaviour, uh, and we, we turn it into something that is dramatic, but also quite kind of funny in parts and quite warm and quite uplifting. Uh, Misbehaviour tells the story of the Miss World contest in 1970 which kind of worlds collided a bit at the time because there was a still the residue of a world where everybody thought, oh, what a lovely idea. We'll parade women around in bikinis and judge them and read out their vital statistics and all that. And uh, a new world where women were kind of going, hang on a minute, this is a bit out of order, objectifying us like this. So the women's liberation movement or women's labor, whatever it was shortened to back then, they decided enough was enough and they picketed and stormed basically the Miss World contest, which at the time was the most watched TV show in the world with 100 million viewers, hosted by Bob Hope. And, um, yeah, they, uh, it, it tells the story of the women who um, achieved overnight fame or infamy, depending on your outlook, by uh, either um, lobbying or ruining this contest that lots of people still loved and other people found really quite offensive. And, because um, now, you know, 50-odd years later, after the 1970 um, show, we, we probably have a different view. But back then, it caused quite a storm. And they were all arrested and, you know, theoretically could have gone to jail. Anyway, the the, uh, the two main figures who um, are, are behind the demonstrations that uh, uh, target this Miss World contest are played by Kira Knightley and Jesse Buckley, both of whom I think are really good, more or less, in everything they do. I, I think Kira Knightley gets dismissed a bit too much as just a pretty face or a pretty pouting face, but I always think she's really, really good. And Jesse Buckley, you know, everything I've seen her in, she's uh, excellent in... And uh, I'm going to get this wrong, aren't I? But Gugu Mbatha Raw plays the woman who actually has, in a way, a lot to lose because she's the woman who goes on to win this contest. And that was a, that reflected real life. She was the first um, African-American to win uh, the Miss World contest. And her argument would have been, well, hang on, this has given me an opportunity. It's like lifting me from poverty. It's making me famous. It's getting my, my homeland are proud of me. Why would you want to ruin it? So it's quite clever the way the movie shows it from both perspectives. Oh, that's you know, it's an interesting. interesting one. Please tell me somebody's in there playing Brucey, because wasn't he quite sort of prevalent in, in the Miss World? Yeah, he, I think did he, he was, marry a few but, of them, didn't he? Uh, well, it's funny enough, I think uh, I think Bob Hope was had one or two affairs with one or two of the winners. That, right. that is into that, because his wife is not happy that he goes back and does this again. She's like, don't you dare sleep with the winner, you know. So, uh, yeah, but I don't think, uh, I think this is pre-Brucey. Oh, that's uh, a shame. Yeah, but um, I see Greg Kinnear's playing Bob Hope in, 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 in this Um and, and, and apparently in real life, I, I found a piece of information here about this. It says, contrary to what is portrayed in the movie, the real infiltrates uh, did plan on starting the protest while the Miss Wild candidates were on stage. However, it was Bob Hope's misogynistic jokes that made them change their plans and start throwing their flower bombs at that very moment. Yeah, I mean, understandably, because, you know, he was of his time. And I think um, probably 10 or 15 years earlier, we'd all have chuckled along to his mid-50s humour about, you know, women and men. Mm. But by this stage, the world had changed a lot and uh, it does it does seem like an old-fashioned thing to, you know, carry on in 1970. So, But yeah, it, it certainly achieved its objective of getting the, the debate out there and it was on all the front pages. 
That's uh, Misbehaviour, 9pm on BBC Two on Sunday the 6th of March. Let's move to Monday the 7th of March and we have 11.15pm on BBC Two again, The Man with the Iron Heart. Yes, a subject close to my heart actually because it's uh, one of the movies, one of the two movies in a two-year period that covered the assassination of Reinhard Heydrich which, you know, plug, plug, I wrote a book about. But hey, let's move Did swiftly you? on it. What was that, what was that yeah. book called? That's called Hunting the Hangman. Oh, okay. It's available in all good retailers and, uh, you know, online. But anyway, um, I joke about that. But in reality, um, the um, uh, Anthropoid came out a year before The Man with the Iron Heart. They are both good, both well worth watching. They both show the um, incident in the Second World War that I became fascinated by because it was about two men trying to assassinate in Prague the Nazi leader who was basically the man responsible for delivering the Holocaust. He was a man tasked by Hitler to do that as well as run Nazi Germany in the Czech, well, the Czech Republic as it is now, Czechoslovakia at the time. So it's a, it's a, if you like and are interested in things like The Eagle Has Landed or The Day of the Jackal, this is a true life story um, that you know mirrors real events and, and tells them. This particular movie has got Jason Clarke playing Heydrich, Rosamund Pike plays his wife. And it also stars Jack O'Connell, Jack Rayner, Mia Wazakowska, is that correct? Mm-hmm. Have I pronounced that vaguely re- carefully and correctly. And guess who plays Himmler? Uh, Stephen Graham? Yeah, Stephen Graham. Now, lovely, was, lovely or, man, great actor. Or Olivia Coleman. It was going to be one well, of them, wasn't it? I think, I think you'll find Olivia Coleman plays Hitler in this one because <laughs> <laughs> we, we keep saying they're in everything, either yeah. like independently or one of these days together. I, I, I should say, listeners, I have nothing against Stephen Graham or Olivia Coleman. But God, they do a lot of stuff, don't yeah. they? You know. Anyway, uh, and I never would have cast Stephen Graham as Himmler, but he's fine. Hardest working person in show business is their agent. I think so, yeah. yes. And one of the richest, but there yeah. we go. But anyway, it's uh, a good representation of an amazing um, episode in history and a, and a big event in the Second World War, so well worth a look. Okay, that's uh, The Man with the Iron Heart. Uh, that is on 11.15pm, uh, BBC Two, on Monday the 7th of March. Uh, this moves to Tuesday the 8th of March, 1.15pm uh, on Film 4. It is Wuthering Heights, but it is not the version that maybe people might be thinking. No, no, this well, this is a very <clears throat> stripped down and sort of grim, uh, bare version of what would be a story that necessitates that treatment generally. I think often, obviously, Wuthering Heights is classed as a romantic book, but it's actually quite a tragic story. And, and I should say in advance that I'm not a massive fan of the of the book I, I never you know lots of people love it and they are oh, Kathy and Heathcliff it's so romantic I kind of think their the, the behaviour as characters in the book kind of winds me up a bit but it doesn't mean I can't enjoy a movie version now I watch this partly because it got good reviews um, partly because it is so stripped down and it doesn't rely on um, you know romantic cinematography it's far more gritty and uh, and again a, t- a test of my pronunciation but it sounds a good actress Kaya Scudelario, is it, as Cathy? Um, I've seen her in a few things, not least of which she is the troubled figure skater in Spinning Out, which is a Netflix series that I ended up watching at home. And she's also been in the Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, the Dead Men Tell No Tales uh, one. Uh, and she's also in Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil and Vile. So from what I've seen of her in this and other things, she is definitely one for the future. Um, and it is a, it's a good version of a story that has been told often and I think is probably better than most of the versions I've sort of seen or caught bits of because it shows what it would have been like if you took you know a realistic view of that story and where it's set and the you know the wild and uh, windy moors as Kate Bush sang all those years ago um, I like this better than the you know the usual oh Kathy you know <laughs> so when they're all mooning over each other uh, it's it's worth a watch. Okay, uh, it's interesting to see just how many versions there are. I've counted at least six, and and I've not exhausted the list. But oh, no, um, yeah. you know, Tom Hardy uh, was was Heathcliff in in one on here. Of course, Lawrence Olivier's done it. Timothy Dalton. Timothy oh, Dalton, yes, man, in nineteen seventy. Uh, Ray Fiennes did it in the nineties. Peter Davison. Yeah. That's Doctor Who, isn't it? Oh uh, yes, gosh, was he? It's, he didn't play Heathcliff, did he? Gosh. He's wow. listed here as being in the cast in a, in a 90s version. Wow. If it's the same actor. Yes, it is. Uh, he was Lockwood. Ah, I was going to say, you wouldn't normally expect him to be as wild as Heathcliff. <laughs> no, Matthew McFadden was in that same um, version. Yeah. Uh, but not, again, he wasn't Heathcliff either. Um, Robert Kavanagh was, he- anyway, it doesn't right. matter. But but yeah, lots of versions of this. Uh, but uh, but this is the one yeah. that you're choosing from, uh, 2011. And it's on 1.15pm on Film 4, Tuesday, the 8th of March. 
Let's go to Wednesday, the uh, 9th of March. If if ever there were a Howard film on the yeah, list, I'd definitely. say, you know, after The Man with the Iron Heart, I'd also say, yeah, this one's a Howard be, film. Even more so. I mean, yeah. this would be, you know, I'll already say it's my pick of the week. So 1965, 11.15pm <clears throat> yeah. on Talking Pictures, uh, The Spy Who Came In From The Cold. Oh, I mean, what a, what a movie, what a book, what a movie. So it's John le Carre's classic spy um, story. And what's wonderful about this is all the twists and turns in it. So... If you've seen it, you'll know what I mean. If you haven't, then I'm not going to spoil it. But basically, it follows the character Alex Lamus, who is brilliantly played by Richard Burton, who just seems like a a coiled-up anger, a man frustrated with his career. And uh, He was born to play somebody a bit washed up, wasn't he? I think so. He looks just crumpled. He looks like he needs a good ironing, you know, and he he also looks like he's already had a drink in every scene. So basically, he comes in, uh, he doesn't get to come in from the cold just yet. Control calls him in and says to him, I want you to stay out in the cold for a while. Um, everything's gone wrong for him in his, uh, with his spy ring in Berlin and his last agent it dies. And uh, Control says, look, we need to get this guy, Munt, who is catching and killing them all. We need to um, get him. And so what I want you to do is go out into the world. We're going to pretend to sack you and you've got to turn into a bitter alcoholic man who causes problems and hits people and stuff and eventually they they as in the enemy will approach you and that's what happens they offer him money and they say look come come behind the iron curtain and we'll debrief you and then you can go with all this money and you can give us a lot of secrets and that's part of the plan but the plan goes pear-shaped to an extent and there are twists and turns along the way and it's brilliantly cynical and uh, yeah, it really encapsulates. So it's the it's the opposite of James Bond, really. And I like James Bond movies. I'm not knocking them, but this is not Sean Connery playing James Bond in the '60s. This is Burton playing Lamus as a bitter and twisted guy, and he's good at what he does, but he he questions everything, and it's uh, it's got a shattering ending as well. And and it was um and and you 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 draw the comparison there with James Bond, and this came out in 1965, right at the height of of Bond mania of the yeah. '60s, where Everything, everyone was trying to replicate the Bond movies. There were so many knockoffs and imitations by 1965. Yeah. And this couldn't have been more of a contrast. No, and there were two authors who were doing this whose uh, books became big movies. So John le Carre and Len Dayton. And it's almost as if they kind of went, ah, oh, you know, Bond's all right and everything, but it's just a fantasy that, you know, spying does not involve martinis beating people up and, you know, power boats and helicopters and yeah. firing rockets and stuff. It's much more walking down, you know, the, the dark streets of East and West Berlin and trying not to get shot or arrested and beaten up. And um, so you've got the, the Harry Palmer stuff, the Ipcris file and uh, Funeral in Berlin that was written originally by Len Dayton. Yeah. They're great movies. And then you've got this. But, but what's interesting about those movies as well, they were made by one of the producers of the Bond movies. Yes. But they were, but again, it was, it was a, t- it was a very much a, almost like a negative image of, of the, the, the Bonds, you know, because they, they weren't glamorous and they weren't no, they globe-trotting the in that same way. one thing they completely lacked was glamour. Yeah. Um, I mean, Harry Palmer, uh, the figure with the, you know, the, the national health glasses and the raincoat and, uh, you know, Kane plays him brilliantly, but it's not glamorous. As no. Such. He's quite cool, but he's not glamorous. And and this this is similar, you know, this mm. is very much a kitchen sink spy drama, isn't it? There's a great scene in it where I won't try and quote every word in it, but basically Richard Burton's character, Lamus, um, berates the woman that he becomes involved in, who, in, uh, who um, accidentally becomes the collateral damage in this. She also gets involved in what happens. And he explains who spies really are. And he says they're squalid little men and, uh, you know, the alcoholics and crooks and failures, not the glamorous James Bond or the Harry, or even the Harry Palmers, you know, yeah. worse than that. We, we tend to forget that um, a spy movie, the, the characters that tend to be classed as spies in movies aren't actually spies they're agent runners the agents the spies they're the people they recruit so that's a a subtle difference and um, it's not often uh, made in a movie you know you think of spying it's Mm. like these are guys who Alex Lamas is not a spy he's an agent runner this is also and and that I believe that's the title of um, the very last book by John le Carre before he died Agent Runner in the Field oh yes yes um, that's right there was yeah there's one that's been published posthumously but the one before that yes yeah, yeah, the, yes, it, yes it was the last one while he was still yeah yeah um, 
And this film also is the first appearance of John le Carre's most iconic character, George Smiley. Yes, in, in and in I was going to say minor, but he is in it a few times in the story. But Control and Lermus are the main yeah. protagonists, really. Well, in some of the, the stories that are part of this Smiley collection, he was only a very minor character, whereas in some others he was... Like Tinker Tailor Soldier yeah, Spy, he was the main character. Just wonderful Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, absolutely yeah. amazing. But uh, but yeah, there was a film, and I saw this film and didn't realise at the time. But James Mason did a film two years later called The Deadly Affair, and that was a George Smiley story. But because of legal rights and because the people who made this film had the rights to the name, they had to change the character's name. Oh. But it's the only thing they changed. So if you, I, I later read The Deadly Affair. And it was a very good portrayal. And James Mason was great as Smiley, but he wasn't called Smiley, he was called Dobbs. And James Mason, terrific actor yeah. as well. So that would have been a good choice to play a Smiley-esque figure. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, Alec Guinness, uh, Denham Elliott and Gary Oldman have yeah. all done rather well. With I think uh, all good, but I think Alec Guinness is the definitive Smiley, partly because he had more time on screen, but he was just so damn good, you know. Anyway, that's uh, The Spy Who Came In From The Cold, uh, 11.15pm on Talking Pictures, Wednesday the 9th of March. Let's move to Thursday the 10th of March, uh, 12.25am, so into the wee small hours of Friday morning on Five Star, we have The Warriors. Yes, The Warriors. Now, this uh, left field choice may be, but I, was, I must admit, I was struggling to find a good movie, and I was about to give up and say, do you know what, there's nothing good on, or nothing good that we haven't mentioned before. And then I thought, wow, I've not seen this for a long while. Um, I think, I dare I say it was about 11 when I saw this, and it was a certificate 18 even back then, but someone got it on an old video cassette. We all gathered around and watched it, and we thought, whoa, this is good stuff. Directed by Walter Hill, who's done a numerous um, you know, well-known American action thriller movies. Um, this one was a low-budget movie about gangs in New York, and uh, not those gangs in New York. This is in the 70s, it's, so it's the time... It was filmed in is the time it was set in, although the novel was set in the 60s. And it's about um, someone calling a truce to get all the gangs together so they stop warring with each other and in theory they can go about their nefarious business. And one guy thinks, no, I don't want this. So he kills a respected gang leader and he blames it on another gang who are known as the Warriors. And it's basically a almost like a road movie, but they've got to get from one end of New York to another to get back into their area where they feel safe and they come up against various gangs along the way now obviously it's a bit dated um you've got to you know when you sit down and look at it you realize it's a low budget movie shot in 1979 it was pretty massive at the time critically it wasn't very well acclaimed at the time but it has now been uh re-evaluated by by the critics then and more recently the critics who are younger around now it has an 87 percent approval on rotten tomatoes the, the site amalgamates reviews based on 45 reviews and um, it's classed these days as a thrilling piece of pulp filmmaking in 2003 the New York Times placed the film on its best 1000 movies ever made list so you know bear in mind there are a lot of movies out there that's not bad that's a pretty good accolade there was a couple of movies that 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 came from that period of time which I think um, had uh, to me had a very similar feel to them and and another one that springs to mind is Escape from New York I was just going to say John Carpenter yeah uh, would have made one or two of those movies no doubt and that's yes kind of n- not post-apocalyptic pre-apocalyptic idea um, the Warriors but post-apocalyptic in Escape from New York and uh, they have that tone that look about it low budget dark moody quite gritty um yeah, but yeah. Both, both set in New York, both set at mm. night. It was, yeah, but, you know, there, there was something similar to them and, and the way that they were made. Yeah, very, yeah, you know, very little money uh, apparent on screen, but, but you know, very good uh, storytelling. And, and I think it's good that this film has become the cult classic that it is because cause there is something good in there, um, but it perhaps just took a very long time for people to see it. Yeah, and I think uh, older film critics probably thought, well, this is bad because it glamorises gang violence, but... I don't think that was its intention. And also there was a, uh, a, a bit of um, uh, hassle when the movie came out because gangs went to see it and they were fighting each other in cinemas. So there were, you know, numerous people were injured and there may have even been a death or two across the country um, mm. caused by this with people, um, you know, rioting or stabbing people. So the movie got a bad rep. The reviews said, oh, it was a bit gratuitous, but it really wasn't violence-wise. It, was, um, it wasn't meant to glamorise 
the life. I don't think it was just a bit of pulp, as it says, pulp fiction, really. Mm. Okay, that's that's the Warriors, which is on uh, five star twelve twenty five a.m. and that concludes the film guide for another week. So we've already established there then. <laughs> any hesitation you yeah. said straight away your film of the week the spy who came in from the cold absolutely if it's a classic if you've seen it see it again and if you haven't seen it check it out okay uh, well, one of the interesting characters or one of the interesting actors playing a character in in this from the bond movies is m from the bond movies who played the butcher that he beats up ah you know i didn't make that link so yeah I yeah seen it for a little bernard while, lee yeah. played the uh, i think he was yeah it was the butcher who who yes lee i remember it and he wants credit and, uh, and he punches him in the in the shop, and, yeah, uh, yeah, goes to prison briefly for it. Yeah, uh, and uh, All part yeah. of his cover. That's right, because uh, I'd never seen Bernard Lee in anything outside of a Bond movie, but apparently he had quite a career before the Bond films, and then yeah, then then when the Bond films were made, that's pretty much all he had to do because that was his retirement fund sorted out. A couple yeah, of minutes have, of filming a, a he must year. have literally right. I've got two scenes here, you know, at the beginning of the movie. And at the end, you know, what he'll do is like, pay attention, Bond. Uh, yeah. He's a madman. He wants to blow up the world. Off you go. And then possibly at the end, well done, Bond. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> wasn't, wasn't a big stretch, but I guess yeah. it saw him through to his retirement. I but, think so. Uh, but yes, if you wanted to see him in something else, this was this was something else. He wasn't in it for, wasn't in it for much longer than he was in a Bond film, but, but he's Very much there. a supporting character. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but that's uh, The Spy Who Came In From The Cold. Uh, Howard, thank you very much. Pleasure. Uh, for doing this once again the choices of films that Howard has suggested there that we should watch on TV the, you can see the list in the description of this podcast episode right now and on our website at stalbanspodcast.com next week on the film guide Chris Aikman will be back uh, doing his thing along with producer Sam uh, Howard will be back about the same time next month